So we're going to continue in um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And the letter is going to like um, transition into the second main theme. Um, and that is that Christ has united people from all nations to himself and to one another in his church. And this is like the, um, the byproduct of the primary theme, which is Christ having reconciled all creation to himself and to God the Father. Um, so Paul is going to illustrate what unity between believers is supposed to look like um, in a practical sense. And this is like where lifestyle is going to come in. So basically, this is where the letter teaches us the do's and don'ts of Christian living. And he begins with the unity that we have in the Holy Spirit. And then how um, from there, our Christian walk is formed because being made into a new creation and living accordingly begins um, from the inside out because our actions, um, they display the condition of our hearts. So let's go ahead and read chapter four and we'll begin our study. Um, Ephesians 4 says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, he led a cap, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? So um, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful, in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the darkness of their heart, and they having become callous, have given them themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. 
and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not grieve and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will not have something so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Okay, <clears throat> that was kind of a long chapter. Um, so let's go back to the first few verses. Uh, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So this chapter begins with saying, therefore, which is not uncommon um, for Paul to do. Um, since we're reading a letter and letters are usually not like broken down into chapters, Paul is um, transitioning into a new frame of thought based on what he wrote at the end of the previous chapter with him saying in chapter three, verses 20 to 21, after, um, after having defended his apostleship and why he is qualified to share the gospel um, with all people, but in particular, um, the Gentiles, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly be beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he, um, he finishes that section of the letter, leaving his, re leaving his readers with a sense of, <clears throat> excuse me, of, uh, uh, sorry, of um, awe and assurance that Christ is above all things and is all powerful and is able to literally do anything. And this of course would give the readers a great sense of awe, but also a great sense of peace and assurance that the God in whom they place their faith in is the one and only true God. Because if you remember the church in uh, Ephesus, they were living amongst a lot of different types of temples, just like we, just like us. And um, all these different people were worshiping all types of false god, false gods. And that last section also included um, the mentioning of the church. And in doing so, the readers are reminded that the church is one, um, it belongs to Christ. And two, it has been bought, brought together for the purpose of bringing glory to Christ. So because of this, Paul transitions into chapter four, imploring the readers of this letter, which would include us today too. Um, so he urges us to walk in a manner worthy that is worthy of the calling that's been placed on us um, as followers of Christ. It were to be genuine and faithful believers. So it would seem that we're being taught that there is a specific way in which 
um, like we're supposed to live that would be com that should be common amongst believers. And that means that although we have um, complete freedom in Christ to choose what type of life we want to pursue, there is a way that is of greater benefit if we are to live in a way that is worthy of the good news that saved us. Um, and the best part is that we don't have to guess or come up with, um, <clears throat> with what it would look like to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel because it's already been laid out for us in God's word. And in regards to like the areas of life that are not necessarily <clears throat> clear or um, that aren't like black and white, we have the Holy Spirit who is able to help us um, that is provided to us through truth to make choices that are um, God honoring. So, and as long as our day-to-day -day choices are like our more life-changing choices or our goals or dreams, whatever, are under the umbrella of the list that we've been given, then that would be us putting into practice what it would what it looks like to essentially live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Um, and that umbrella or covering <clears throat> is made up of humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance and love for each other. So basically, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is being laid out, right? Um, and at the forefront of loving one another in this way is like uh, an intentional awareness of the importance to preserve or um, <clears throat> strive for unity in the spirit together. Why? Because when there is genuine unity, like in the body of Christ, on the things that matter the most, on the things that are actually essential, not the non-essential, then there's a bond of peace amongst each other. Um, the way that we demonstrate love to one another because matters because it is being lived out in front of um, a world that does not know and that doesn't understand the love of Christ. In John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you also love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the way that we live matters. Um, and then verses four to six say, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope um, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Um, this like these few verses, I think that like, not that the whole chapter is not important, but I think that this, these are the most important ones, the most important verses of the whole chapter, because there is only one truth and one message that saves, and there is only one true God. And this is not a well-received message in the world that we're living in today. Um, I mean, it, it's never been a well-received message, but it feels like, I mean, I guess maybe because we were living in this time, like it just feels a little bit more hostile. And in this truth is where it is absolutely vital that the church is like 100% um, united on, even if it's like unpopular. <clears throat> if there isn't unity in this, then the whole world has like literally all the more reason to ridicule us. Um, if we aren't like set in unity on the like, on the literal essential things. And this may sound harsh or maybe um, like close-minded and I, I don't know, but like I genuinely don't care. 
because I'm trying to go, like, I'm trying to be with the Lord when I die. But there is only one God that exists and one God that saves, and his name is Jesus. Um, and there is no other way to get to heaven. And there is no other place or person or thing that someone like can place their faith and hope in and be okay when they die. And we have to be set on this if we're going to make it to the very end. And I'm not speaking like about um, like denominations or like non-essential differences, like politics or vaccinations or being vegan or eating your weight, your weight's worth of meat. That's not like what I'm talking about. If someone believes in Jesus Christ as Lord of their life and is living out and to the best of their ability in obedience to his word and loves Christ and his people, then that person is our brother and sister in Christ. And um, and them and us belong to the same body of Christ because there's only one. And you and I should have more in common with our brothers and sisters in China or in Africa or in South America than we do with the non-believers in America based solely on the fact that we believe that there is only one body, one spirit, one hope, and one Lord and God, the Father who is over all and in all and in and through all, making him like the king and ruler of all things. Um, this is what unity in the spirit looks like. And in this regard, um, the word of God is extremely black and white. Um, we're either for God, <coughs> excuse me, we're either for God or against them. Either our allegiance is with the Lord or it is with those that think that this is only one of the ways to get to God and into heaven. Um, although there, there is some truth um, in that way of thinking, because like everyone, every single person that's born, we're all going to die. So everyone will get an audience with God one day. But those that did not belong to Christ, regardless of all of their good deeds and their moral and however moral um, lives they've had, they're unfortunately not going to enter the kingdom of God and they're not going to experience the rest of Christ. And that should make our hearts really sad. Um, and it should encourage us to share our hope and faith with those who don't know, like in whose image they've been made. Um, verses seven and eight say, um, but to each one of us, grace was given according, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended in on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So grace according, um, sorry, grace according to the measure of Christ's gift doesn't refer to like, um, like different levels of saving grace or anything like that. Like there isn't one Christian that's more saved than another Christian. Like one can be more devoted to Christ than another one but they're both equally saved nonetheless it's more referring to the type of grace that's given um to like serve christ's church um <clears throat> like pastors and leaders and like people that are like among that path of life they need specific grace and gifts and qualities in order to lead the church well and in love and with um a focus on christ so that the church body can flourish in all the gifts things that each person um, that's a part of that church body has been given for the good of others and for the um, glory of Christ. And the captives that Christ triumphed over in verse eight, I think are most likely demonic forces when he um, ascended 
or resurrected from the dead. I don't know if I'm wrong. Um, please correct me. Um, and then verses nine and 10 say, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who has, he who, what? Sorry, let me read it again. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. So not only did God, um, the Christ, ascend far above the heavens, but he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. So this could be re like referring to um, Jesus's like incarnation when he descended from the highest heaven to the lowest region, which could be earth. Um, where he um, suffered and died and was buried, and where he also defeated death and rose again. And then he um, ascended days later, like it says in Acts 1-9, um, so three days later, so that he could be seated in the highest heavens at the right hand of the Father. Or it could be talking about him going um, to Hades after his death, like before his resurrection. Um, in a short passage that I found in regards to that type of descending that might indicate he went to Hades would be, um, I think, in First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 20. And that says, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but, be, but um, made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons were brought safely through the water. And um, there's actually a few more verses that I wish I would have written down now, but it's okay. So regardless of which is right or what it's saying um, in this case, this this all happened so that Christ would fill all things, making him um, like the supreme head of the church who fills all things with his glory, power, and sovereign authority to distribute gifts to his people as, um, as he sees fit. And verses 11 to 14 say, and some he gave as, um, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. <clears throat> um, so to some, God has given the gift and assignment um, uh, to be apostles. He doesn't do that anymore. That was only, you know, when the Bible was being written or lived out. <clears throat> um, and to others, and to others, he made, he gave the assignment and gift to be prophets, others um, evangelists, evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, all for one united vision and purpose. Everyone is given different um, strengths and gifts, all for the purpose of equipping 
and um, in building each other up in Christ. <clears throat> I feel like, I think that we talk about that um, pretty regularly here in our Bible study. So I think that we have a pretty clear understanding of that. Um, but our gifts are not ours alone, but for the good of others. The goal is that um, we attain unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God so that we can grow into mature men and women to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Um, what does that mean? So basically, what that means, <clears throat> sorry, my allergies are really bad. They weren't this bad earlier. I don't know why they're bad right now. Um, so basically, when we're saved, we're accepted and we're received as we are and praise God for that. But like that is not the extent of our redemption story. Um, the goal is that we mature into whoever it is that God, that Christ has created us to be. Um, and that in the process, in that process, that our character is molded to be more like his. And in this, and this is going to be like a lifetime process, right? Jesus is the standard of the type of maturity in, um, in which the church collectively and individually should aspire to be. Um, Christ's fullness is the complete expression of his divine and human perfection. Uh, Colossians chapter two, verses nine to 10 says about Jesus, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. So Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his nature. And as his people, we are called to follow in his footsteps. Um, obviously on this side of heaven, like we're not gonna achieve perfection, but we should strive for excellence in Christ. Um, and in doing so, we're, we, won't, um, we will not remain in immaturity so that we're not global children who are tossed helplessly by the waves and the winds of every type of doctrine that is presented to us by false teachers, um, which we learned a lot about when we learned and study um, in the three letters of John. We learned all about false teachers. Um, and verses 15 and 16 says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what is, by what every, what? Sorry, let me read that. Um, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the truth of Christ or the word of God um, shouldn't be used against our brothers or sisters in Christ um, to like guilt them into wanting to submit or like accept and obey God's word because that never works. Like never, it never, ever works. It's supposed to be presented or displayed in love. And we've been told how to do that in the beginning verses with humility, gentleness, um, patience, and tolerance. And this, of course, does not mean like um, what watered down truth. Like that's not what it's, that's not like how we present the truth in love. Um, like it just means that the condition or like the intention of our heart needs to be checked and in the right place before we move forward 
um, when we're wanting to like correct someone in truth or wanting to teach them or show them something regarding God's word that they are probably living out like incorrectly or um, they just have a misunderstanding of whatever. You know, like we do have to check our hearts before we go to someone um, and like try and like correct them, but in a way that is like um, belittling them, like that's never going to work. And it's also not loving at all. And this type of love and truth leads us to maturity in Christ. And Paul uses the metaphor, the metaphor to describe the church's maturity in the form of a body. Every member plays an important role in the church's growth in love because there's never going to be like true Christian ministry that like that cannot exist without love. And every act done in love in the name of Jesus is valued and is going to be remembered by him, by him as like, we each do our best to work out our role as we've been called to. And this again reminds us that how we live matters. Um, and verses 17 to 24 saying, um, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk and the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that Uh, I can't really hear you, but I don't know. Can you guys hear her? You be written in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So, you can't hear me? No. Now, now we can. It just fits. Can you hear me now? Yes or no? Okay. Should do I need to read that part again or are you good? Yeah, you cut it out for a little bit. Wait. I can't I didn't hear you, Anthony. Okay, you're like, you can hear me fine, right? So we just read verses 17 to 24. So um, it would seem that although um, we have been saved, we're still able to walk in the futility of our mind, just like non-believers do. Because in Christ, we have been given <clears throat> actual freedom to choose because we are no longer blinded, blinded by darkness. We have been brought into clarity of the light of truth. So we have to actively um, reject attempting to live life according to our finite understanding. Um, since the freedom that we have in Christ allows us the ability to like willingly choose as to whether we will lean on our, our, on our own understanding or obey what we know to be right and true according to his word. Um, and people outside of Christ, they don't have this type of freedom. They can distinguish like between right and wrong, but even their right and their moral choices are like, they're still veiled in darkness because they do not belong to Christ. And therefore they don't actually like have the freedom that we do. 
And the proof that as Christians, we are able to walk in the futility of our mind is really easy. If we just think about today or yesterday or what we did a few weeks ago that we now regret because it was in a moment of weakness that we chose that wrong thing or we hurt that person that we didn't want to hurt or we gave into anger and said things that we like now wish that we could take back. Like those are all proofs that we're still very, very much of um, like able to walk in the futility of our mind. Um, and the conviction that we now feel is also the proof that we belong to Christ um, because we want to right that wrong, right? And the Holy Spirit is at work in us so that, <clears throat> so that as we progress in our Christian walk, the less prone we'll be to give into the futility of our mind and the less we'll want to do it. Um, and thank God that like, he does convict us and that he does correct us. And then he does help us like dust up our knees and just get up and keep moving forward as we humble ourselves before him and continue to follow him. And whoever it is that we once were is not who we are now in Christ. Like, even though we might have like, um, I don't know how, you, I don't know. I've heard like, I've heard it explained better than I'm going to explain it to you. But like, even though we have like residual things from the past, like, like our personality for the most part is the same prior to how we were to Christ. It's just, we're just Christian now, you know, like there's certain things about us that like are going to resemble our past forever, but that's not who we are anymore. Um, and that doesn't matter because now, because of that, we are like, we're supposed to clothe ourselves in who he is and in who we are in him or whoever it is that he says we are. Um, before our outside is changed, like it's always going to be our heart and our mind that are needing to be um, daily renewed and also rewired. And this is just part of um, our transformation as a new creation in Christ. Um, and verses 25 to 32 say, um, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, um, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with um, one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is, as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by which whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So it matters that we are diligent to like walk in the newness of Christ, not only for the sake of his glory, but because we're members of one another. Um, and if one part suffers, like, we all do. And if one part is not doing what they should, it does affect the rest of our body, of the body, regardless um, if the role we've been given seems significant or not. Um, every single um, member matters. So each member of the church of Christ is important. What we do is important and it does affect the rest of the body. And the remaining verses I think are like super self-explanatory, right? So like even as Christians, um, we still have the ability to be mean and rude and hurtful and arrogant. We're, we still have the ability to be selfish and bitter. 
and we and to say things that we shouldn't say like we have that ability we have that freedom um um and this is why we're given like very clear and specific instructions in regards to what to do and what not to do because our moral code and ethics um can be easily tested or like um triggered by all sorts of things and situations and that's why we have been given like these rules or like our boundaries to keep it to keep in mind so that when our flesh is weak and we want to cuss at someone because they pissed us off or because they hurt us we're able to like hold our tongue and or apologize later when we've calmed down because God has already shown us what is right and wrong like what is a right and wrong response for almost every situation and we are warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we have been sealed for the day of redemption so like to grieve someone it, it means to like make them extremely extremely sad um, and from the wordage of this verse, it would seem that not only like does God have emotions, but we have the ability to cause him grief. So let's not do that. Um, and lastly, in this chapter, we're told to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving um, toward each other, um, just as God in Christ also has forgiven us. So God chose to forgive us, although we did not ask for it. But in love, he like he gave his greatest treasure, which is his son on our behalf um, that we might have, so that we might have peace with him and be reconciled, which is the primary um, theme of the letter at the beginning, right? So we're all in need of his mercy and forgiveness every single day. And because of that, like we should be willing to extend kindness and mercy and, forgive and forgiveness to others, but especially um, to our family in Christ. Mm -hmm.